Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 34th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. 34 is, of course, Bo Jackson's number with the Raiders. Uh, the goal, as it is every week, is to be worth your time. Uh, this week we're going to do that using a point about the Chiefs play calling that a lot of people are making, but showing how it tells a broader truth about Andy Reid and the Chiefs' future. We also have a great run of questions about how aggressive the Chiefs should be on offense, what they should be expecting from the pass rush on defense, Eric the enemy's specific role on this team and a question about my weird name we're going to finish with the smartest thing i heard this week which came in a conversation with danny apgar who coaches the wrestlers at adrian high Um, he was gracious in talking with me about some hesitations he has of doing all this while the virus spreads okay the star is running a special promotion for the sports pass right now a dollar a month for three months for all of our sports coverage including more chiefs content than you can find anywhere else you can find that on our website or just reach out to me on twitter or facebook or email whatever man i'll send you the link okay the point about the chiefs We've had, you know, Ferrari Wright, Slot Machine Wright, Black Pearl, all these plays. We've had, you know, Patrick Mahomes now regularly taking snaps in motion. When And I've watched a lot of football in my life, you guys. Uh, I had never seen that in my life. Um, I'd never even considered it. I don't think that's a coincidence because it sure seems like this specific context had to exist for the Chiefs to be doing this wild stuff. So, look, here's how it's going. You you probably heard the short version of the story, you know, about Mahomes just sort of messing around with this idea of, you know, catching the snap in motion, asking the coach if it's legal, and then trying to design a play around that concept. You know, then they take it to Andy Reid, who then wants to see how it works against a live defense, and voila, you know, before you know it, the Chiefs are doing one one more thing, I should say, that nobody's ever done before. Um, Okay, so here's Andy Reid talking about that process and the decision to go with it near the goal line. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, we we thought we had a, you know, we thought we had an opportunity. Uh, it keeps the guys alive. I think that's a, it keeps everybody involved. And, and so they get into, they get into those and, um, you know, Kelsey's taking a beating over it, uh, you know, is maneuvering with the football, but, you know, that's, uh, that's part of it. We have a wrinkle here or there that we, you know, we have fun with. So, and hopefully it works. We're trying to score. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. And then I just go off of a, when I feel that it's right to do, then we'll, we'll do it. There's some good stuff in there and, you know, maybe a little crack of the window. Um, the goal, like obviously, right, it's to score. And that's what this is about. And Reed would not be calling these plays if he didn't think they increased his chances of scoring points and winning games. Sam McDowell wrote more on this. And I, I hope you check out that story. It's on the website right now. But there's a broader truth to what's going on here, too. And and Reed knows that the way that he's going about this specific part of his job, it's an extra boost. And that's part of the point, too. I, I don't know if you've seen Adam Teicher's piece this week, but if you haven't checked it out, he, he goes into why guys like playing for Reed so much. And, uh, you know, there's a lot in there. And a lot of it is stuff you could say about a lot of head coaches, right? Like treats his guys like men, treats them with respect. He listens. He's honest. Uh, when he asks a guy to work, that guy knows that the coach is working at least as hard probably harder and not just that but he never asked for anything without offering something so you know those types of habits add up but then you know when the coach is able to get the players invested that's when the coach can become you know sort of this this force multiplier because think about this like Andy is 
empowering his players. He's showing trust in them, and he's putting his own butt on the line with it because everyone involved, players, coaches, (laughs) reporters like me, fans like you, we know that when these plays don't work, and they don't always work, but when when they don't work, it's going to be the coach who takes the blame. You know, Andy makes sure of that. He has from day one. So, okay, so listen to Patrick Mahomes here, too. He's talking about the process of, of getting a play called. Uh, I mean, usually, uh, if, if I kind of have an idea, uh, we, we usually get it in, but it, there'll be a lot of times where he kind of tweaks it to make it more, uh, accustomed to the offense and more, make it basically work, uh, is the best way to say it. Isn't that great? Like, he's basically saying, like, yeah, I can come up with some crazy, nonsensical idea, and then the coach comes in and cleans it up so it can actually be successful on a football field. And that's that buy-in that we're talking about, right? And it goes both ways. And, you know, again, th- this is that window into how and why Reed is successful. Um, this doesn't get talked about a lot, but he comes to this conversation without ego. And that is so important. The NFL is big business and, you know, there's fame, there's money to be made and all of that. And and that kind of thing can absolutely derail careers. You know, I'm not even trying to be funny here. I think we've seen some of that in, right here in Kansas City, right uh, before Reed got here. That that stuff, when the when the stakes get high, some people some people crack and, and they do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. They do things that they promised themselves they wouldn't do. Reed doesn't do that. He genuinely does not care who gets the credit, um, only that he gets the blame, right? And, and that makes his coaches and players work a little harder, uh, focus a little deeper, all, all those things that can make a difference. Um, and look, like this isn't the only way to operate, right? Like Bill Belichick does it a different way. Phil Jackson does it a different way. You know, heck, Peter Vermees does it a, a very different way than Andy. But this is Andy's way, and it works by empowering those around him. And it works because it's genuine. Okay, before we move on to the rest of the show, um, this podcast is free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. We work hard to bring you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. Please help support us. Give the Sports Pass a try. Again, you can join for a dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. You can find those links online or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I'll send them along. Okay, a quick break, and then we'll be back with some questions. If you want to participate next week's show, and please do, call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Uh, Put the number in your phone, call anytime, 816-234-4365. Or as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BAG-IDOL. Okay, quick break, and then we are back with those questions. The first about how far the Chiefs might go with being aggressive. Hey, Sam, this is Tucker in Joplin, Missouri. I've been on uh, the Bellinger Bennis print version a few times, but first time I've called in here because my question's a little longer than I think the uh, print version allows. Um, I just just got done watching the uh, Carolina uh, Chiefs game, and Carolina was very aggressive today, going forward on fourth down a few times, two onside kicks, a fake punt. My question is, if you're Andy Reid, how do you balance, um, you know, being more aggressive and matching other teams' aggressiveness because I hear the narrative all the time from the announcers, you know, hey, this team or that team's got nothing to lose versus the Chiefs. But, I mean, in my mind, every team's got something to lose. I mean, even the Chiefs. The Chiefs might be the best team in the league. Teams are going to be aggressive on them. And I looked this up. The Chiefs are actually going into today's game. They were tied for third in the league on third down conversion rate. Patrick Mahomes is excellent on third down. 
So you would think the same would apply on fourth down. Right now, the Chiefs are about in the middle of the pack as far as fourth down uh, conversion attempts and success rate. I, I guess overall, I'm just kind of want to know if you think it's uh, going to be tricky going forward for Andy to balance being more aggressive on fourth down. Because I think I'm, I'm on team go for it on fourth down, by the way. And other teams are obviously going to do that against the Chiefs. So wondering how they strike that balance of being aggressive themselves. Thank you, Sam. So uh, Tucker called in with this a few weeks back, but we're getting to it now because I think it's particularly relevant after the Bucks game and, you know, the, in the meaty part of the schedule that we're in right now. Uh, maybe I should say right here that I'm with Tucker. Um, I, I think teams should be much more aggressive with these decisions. Um, I'd always sort of felt that way watching. And then, you know, as you probably know, I'm a believer in numbers. Um, so when the numbers backed up what I'd always felt anyway, then, you know, of course, I'm all in. Um, I do think teams should be particularly aggressive against the Chiefs, too, like, you know, like, you know, Tucker says, you know, the, the broadcaster saying having nothing to lose, right? Like, I mean, that's obviously a cliche and it doesn't fit perfectly here, but the thinking needs to be that the Chiefs are different than normal teams, so they must be approached differently. If you've got fourth and short at midfield um, and you're playing the Patriots, then maybe you want to punt because their offense is going to have a hard time going 90 yards against you for a touchdown. But if you're playing the Chiefs, I think punting is a huge mistake because, you know, the 30 or 40 yards or whatever that you're going to get from a punt, those have those might be gone in like three snaps, right? Um, but Tucker's asking about the Chiefs being aggressive when they have the ball, and it, it's a great question. Or maybe, maybe I just think that because it gives me the chance to talk about something I've been talking about for years, right? But, um, right, like, so a couple – sentences ago like we, I, I talked about the chiefs are different so they must be approached differently uh, and that's true it's also true that the chiefs are different so they should operate differently y- you know what i'm saying like so their odds of converting on offense are different than you know like the chargers or dolphins or like some normal team and you know that's why i thought the Chiefs should have gone for it on fourth and goal from the one um on that first drive against the bucks and I promise you, if they do that 100 times, they're going to convert more than 50, which means that kicking the field goal is costing them points more times than not. Um, it's also why I love so much the calls to throw on second and third down on their last drive. Like, you know, we can call those aggressive moves, and I, I suppose they are, but when we talk about them in those terms, it can feel like the coach either like has the guts to make a call or he doesn't, right? And I, I think that misses the point. What I'm saying here is that Reed has the brains to make that call because he knows the chances of converting a third and seven, especially when the Bucks are playing off-man coverage on Tyreek Hill. Um, converting that gives the Chiefs a better chance to kill the game than you know giving Brady the ball with 25 seconds or so left with a field goal sending it to overtime. Now, look, um, I-, I talked about this sort of thing a lot more in 2017 and 2018 because back then the Chiefs' defense was so terrible, um, you know, that it should have put the calculus even further towards going for it. Uh, that's different now. Um, even with the current struggles, uh, right? Like the Chiefs have good players and coaches on, on defense. They don't need to be like hidden. But the offense still has Mahomes and Hill and Kelsey, and that is an all-time combination. And if a coach is pushing his chips toward that side, you know, riding and dying with that group, I suppose that can be called aggressive, but I think it's more accurately described as being smart. Okay, so um, here's another question. This one uh, is about the other side of the ball. Hi, this is Paul from Portland, Oregon. Just curious, how long can the Chiefs continue to pay two defensive linemen $189 million and have the only times their names are ever called during a television broadcast of a game be for 
egregious penalties at the worst possible time. First, absolutely love the tone here. Dry, sarcastic, you know, anger simmering just below the surface. Really, really well done, Paul. Uh, thank you for that. Second, you, you know, I love the chance to plug a column, right? So I'm asking you to check out something I wrote on this. It's on the website right now. And it includes some numbers that might surprise you and some video clips to prove the point. So, okay, the, the dollar figure that Paul uses here, it's, it's inflated. Um, NFL contracts aren't real. The guarantees are what matters. And the guarantees for, for Chris Jones and Frank Clark aren't anywhere close to $189 million. Um, that's beside the point. And a better sports columnist might just ignore that, but a better sports columnist isn't doing this podcast. All that said, Chiefs are paying Jones and Clark a crap ton of money, and, and those guys earn the contracts, but you know they're not playing up to them right now. I'm, I'm, and look, I'm going to draw a distinct line here between Jones and Clark because if you watch the tape, and, and this is one of the things that the column gets into, uh, but if you watch the tape, you will see Jones get doubled a lot, and I mean a lot. He's good enough, and he's paid at the level of someone who can beat double teams occasionally. But you know, you just can't expect that kind of thing consistently. You know, that's that's a big ask. Now, with Clark, you just don't see it that often. The doubles. Um, you know, this comes through particularly clearly in the Bucks tape. You know, Clark he'll line up over either tackle, and you know, Tristan Wurst, the rookie from Iowa, he is a really good player at right tackle. Um, you know, the other guys get paid too, all that stuff. And we should keep that in mind. But, you know, Clark needs to get better pressure in those one-on-one situations. And, you know, the, the, he's getting so many of those one-on-one situations. It tells you a lot about what opposing defensive coordinators think right now. And, and Clark was brought in not just the money but the draft capital. The Chiefs spent all of that to make sure that offenses couldn't just double Jones and, and call it a day. Um, they brought in Clark to make those decisions more difficult. And when he's doing that, and let's be clear, he's done it at times this season, um, you know, just not consistently enough. But when he's doing that, then the Chiefs defense can be too much, you know, especially when backed by Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill and all those guys on the other side. So anyway, the, the short version here, uh, the Chiefs defense is in a slump. They are still sixth in points allowed. Let's keep that in mind, guys. Sixth in points allowed. And, you know, the most direct way for them to to make that improvement that I think a lot of us think they can and should make is with more pressure on the quarterback. Okay, one more Chiefs question. Hey, Sam, this is Doc from Columbia, Missouri. There's been a lot of speculation that uh, Coach Bieniemy will become a head coach next year. And I'm wondering, how does he contribute uh, compared to Coach Reed or even Mahomes to the the planning that the offense does, it's so innovative, but it seems that Coach Reed is the one who calls the the plays. So when he becomes the head coach, which appears to be a certainty, how much is that going to create a loss for the Chiefs? Really enjoy your insights. Look forward to your answer. Take care. So this is a good question, and the answer is rather layered, right? Like, Bienemy is the offensive coordinator, which, you know, if Andy Reid is the head coach, it really means that Bienemy is the assistant offensive coordinator, right? So Bienemy is kind of the, the vice president of the offense here, you know, Andy's right hand. Bienemy technically, he does call the plays. Um, you know, his voice is the one in Mahomes' helmet and, you know, the last words that Mahomes hears before the snap. But, you know, Bienemy is getting that play call from Reed. Um, so more times than not, he's a bit of a middleman in that chain of command, though it's more complicated than that. And Bienemy is doing more than just like regurgitating what Reed says. Um, the other stuff you're asking is about the planning, right? And, and Bienemy is a central figure here. Nobody does it by themselves, not Reed, not anybody else. 
And actually, I would argue that one of Reed's greatest strengths is his open-mindedness, right? Like uh, we talked about that a little bit in the lead. You know, he's just this pure lack of ego and, you know, this willingness to sort of be led by those that he leads. Look, like the enemy was a running back when he played um, and he began his coaching career as a running back's coach. So this has been a longer road for him to, to, to this point than others with a background in the passing game. But he is smart. He works incredibly hard. And this isn't a knock on anyone else because Reed has had some great assistance. But I don't think any of them had the kind of respect from players that Biennemi generates. And that is important. So when Biennemi gets a job this offseason, and, and I, I think he will, it'll be a significant loss, but not one that should be like catastrophic or something that isn't part of the NFL sort of like ecosystem. This is the, the cycle of life, right? Like, Doug Peterson is the offensive coordinator. Then he gets hired by the Eagles. So Matt Na- Matt Nagy becomes the the OC. Matt does a good job. Gets hired by the Bears. Now Bienemy becomes becomes the OC. Bienemy does a good job. And when he gets hired by the Jets or Texans or Chargers or whoever it's going to be, uh, my guess is that Matt Kafka will be the OC. You know, the the good assistants are the ones who get hired, and the good teams are the ones that can replace them. And Reed's track record on that is is pretty spectacular, actually. So, okay, last question. Hey, this is Nate from Lee I was just calling to ask, does it bother you that people can't pronounce your last name correctly? Because it bothers me, so, I mean, it's got to bother you more than it bothers me. Nate, my man, um, I have to admit I laughed at this one. You are actually not the first person I've heard say something like this. And I get it. Names are important, all that stuff. But I promise you this is true. Most of the time, I don't even notice. It's Mellinger. It's not Mellinger. But I'm sure there's other families who spell it the same and pronounce it Mellinger, right? And because I've got enough to worry about in my life, professionally and otherwise, I've got enough to worry about without like feeling the need to correct someone for mispronouncing what is, to be fair, kind of a weird last name. I, I think I've told this story before, but my grandpa always pronounced it Mellinger. And, you know, that's my grandpa on my mom's side, to be clear. And, you know, in the years since, uh, I've kind of wondered if he just did that on purpose to see if he could get under my dad's skin. But maybe that's why it doesn't bug me. Like, I've heard it mispronounced since literally before I knew my own name. So, look, Mellinger, Mellinger, say it however you want, just as long as you listen and read and subscribe, then I will have no beef with you. Okay, uh, cool. Another great run of questions, you guys. Uh, Thank you for that. And we will be back after one more quick break with the smartest thing that I heard this week. Okay, I know we're supposed to be all Chiefs all the time, but I need to finish this week's show a little differently. I hope you saw the columns on the website now with a man named Danny Apgar. He helps coach the wrestling team at Adrian High. And Danny is, like a lot of us, a little unsure how to live his life right now. Danny is also, unlike a lot of us, and especially unlike a lot of other high school coaches, willing to talk about that publicly. There was a time that Danny was genuinely unsure whether he could coach, right? Like whether he should participate in a season that, in his words, is certain to help spread COVID-19. Danny's, he's got, his dad is 70 and lives with Danny, and that only further complicates things. But Danny's also coached this year's senior since they were in seventh grade, and there's a loyalty there, like a responsibility, all those emotions that, that good coaches feel. So anyway, there's, there's a lot of stuff in here. And I, so when I talked to him, I just asked Danny if he thought seriously about just sitting the season out, quitting, you know, for his protection, his dad's protection, even for the kids' protection. And we're going to play this clip and, and please listen to it carefully because 
God, he hit it. <laughs> this answer just hit me really hard. Have you thought about just not doing it? You know what I mean? Just yeah, ha- yeah, half. Like, because um, if you just sit down and you're like, what's the just from and and I think that's the core of the internal conflict with it is like that the answer from the bird's eye view is different than the answer from the the ground level view. Oh, man, if you're right. just if you're just looking at a situation as then should you participate in this wrestling season that clearly helping to spread spread of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. The answer would be no, you shouldn't participate in it. But then you put yourself on the ground level and you're like Adrian Small Town, I've been this this senior group we have is pretty good. I've been coaching them since they're in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And now they're seniors. You know, what is it the right thing to do to quit and not be with them through their senior year, probably what's going to be the most difficult season of their, like, careers, you know? Yeah. Like, obviously, that's not the right thing to do from inside the situation. And that's the uh, that's the toughest part, I think, for somebody that's trying to sit down and think through it, is that those two answers are very different depending on which way, you know, if you're viewing the situation as a whole or from your particular point of view in it. And that's the whole deal, right? I told Danny this after he said that, but that answer right there is basically a better articulated version of what I've been feeling and trying to say in different forms here for months. We all need to make our own decisions with these things. Like we all have different priorities. And I need to be honest with you. Like a a few months back when high school football was getting up and going, I thought that was nuts to do it at that level with little or no testing, like no technology for contact tracing, any of those things. Then I talked to some coaches, some kids, like parents, and it changed my perspective. My my sympathy went toward the people on the ground who are living this stuff and, you know, wanting them to have an opportunity to do it as, as safely as possible. Particularly when you consider what might happen in terms of like the virus spread and distancing and mental health and everything else if these kids don't have the structure of sports. And and that's what Danny's saying here, right? Like bird's eye view versus ground level. It's it's the difference between like this sort of like cavalier self-righteousness that a lot of us, and I'm saying us, cause I can get into this too, but this like sort of like cavalier self-righteousness that a lot of us can fall into where, you know, we kind of make judgments on other people uh, without stopping to think of it from their point of view. It's the same deal with wrestling. Like to me, that's a bridge too far. Um, you know, without requiring athletes to like inject themselves with the virus, you could not invent a better structured way to spread the virus than wrestling right so you know danny has a real conflict here like those kids need him and on some level he probably needs them too like this is bird's eye view versus ground level view and look like uh we've never done this before but i i want to play that same clip again guys please this just hit me in my soul and and i think it will do the same for some of you guys too because if you just sit down and you're like what's the just from and and i think that's the core of the internal conflict with it is like that the answer from the bird's eye view is different than the answer from the, the ground level view. Oh, man, if you're right. just if you're just looking at a situation as then should you participate in this wrestling season that clearly helping to spread spread of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. The answer would be no, you shouldn't participate in it. But then you put yourself on the ground level and you're like Adrian Small Town, I've been this this senior group we have is pretty good. I've been coaching them since they're in seventh grade, mm-hmm. and now they're seniors. You know, what, 
is it the right thing to do to quit and not be with them through their senior year, probably what's going to be the most difficult season of their, like, careers, you know? Yeah. Like, obviously, that's not the right thing to do from inside the situation. And that's the uh, that's the toughest part, I think, for somebody that's trying to sit down and think through it, is that those two answers are very different depending on which way, you know, if you're viewing the situation as a whole or from your particular point of view in it. That is so dang smart and honest and, you know, don't get this twisted. Like bird's eye view on doing simple things like wearing a mask in public or keeping distance from folks like as much as possible. Like that, that's not different from the ground level view. Um, those are small, simple, unburdening things that we can all do to help each other out. And so look, like you might think it's insane for high school wrestling to happen and that everyone involved is reckless, but Maybe you went to a happy hour last week. Maybe you've been to a wedding in the last month or two. Maybe you've had friends or family over. Maybe you traveled for Thanksgiving or still practice in a band or playing a darts league or whatever. Like, um, and, and maybe the people wrestling think that you're being re- reckless and ridiculous, right? So it's, it's unrealistic to expect everyone to stay in their bedrooms or that everyone's going to have the same priorities when it comes to choosing what parts of you know that good life to hold on to. But what's entirely realistic is for all of us to take like this just genuine inventory of what's most important to us and and weigh that against what might put others in danger of their lives being either you know disrupted or worse and just make the best decisions that we can and that's what Danny's doing here and I'm so thankful that he was willing to talk about it whatever it's worth as I'm recording this I've now heard from four other coaches already who said they've worked through similar conflicts and I think this kind of thing helps to to talk about you know we're all kind of going through different versions of the same thing right <laughs> we're in this together which like when you think about it like that's the whole point that's the whole point we're in this together Okay. Anyway, that that's the show this week. Thank you guys for listening. Hope we're worth your time. And if I could impose, I hope we're worth subscribing to, rating, and reviewing. It really helps us get the word out. Huge thanks to Savannah Smith, who puts this thing together. Thanks to Danny for the time and honesty. And thanks to everyone who called in, even those we couldn't get to this week. And again, biggest thanks of all to you for listening. Let's do it again next week. Have a good weekend. Be kind. Be kind.